0: to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Today, I'm privileged to have Chip Conley with me. He's an advisor to Airbnb and also the author of Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. Chip, is that a picture of you on the book?
1: <laughs> There's a philosopher. I'm not quite that old. It's um, Socrates, maybe, but... I. Uh... Yes, maybe on the back cover.
0: <laughs> there you go. Uh, Chips, thanks so much for coming on the program. One of the things that really intrigued me about your story was you know, being brought into a high-tech company to you know, talk about service and that human connection. Uh, tell me how that transpired.
1: Sure. I I'd spent uh, most of my career starting a company called Joie de Hospitality, which is this became the second largest boutique hotelier in the United States. Uh, I sold it at the in, in the bottom of the Great Recession, and I wasn't sure what was next. And here was this little tech company, uh, a startup here in, in San Francisco, uh, that was uh, disrupting the hotel industry. And they, the three founders were all millennials, and I'm a boomer. And they approached me and said, we want to democratize hospitality. Could you help us with that? And uh, so I joined them. But the journey that was, was fascinating was I thought I was supposed to be... The wise one with you know dispensing uh, you know knowledge of all this stuff I learned in the hotel business, but the truth is, home sharing, what Airbnb is doing, is so different that a lot of the knowledge I had wasn't valuable. So I also realized at age fifty two at that time that I'd never been in a tech company before, so I didn't understand the lingo. So I believe a modern elder is as much a an intern as they are a mentor, because I had to learn a lot of things when I came here, and I really believe strongly that um, with five generations in the workplace, uh, intergenerational collaboration, and us learning from each other is all about the future.
0: So it sounds like that movie with uh, <laughs> Anne Hathaway, the intern, and you, you got to be Robert De Niro.
1: So <clears throat> the difference between uh, the Robert De Niro, Anne Hathaway movies, Robert De Niro came in as Anne Hathaway's intern at age 70. I came in as Brian Chesky, the CEO who was 21 years younger than me, I came in as his mentor. But Robert De Niro became the mentor to her and I became the intern to Brian because I realized I I needed to learn the tech industry. So um, I I think we're all mentors and interns.
0: If we're doing it right, absolutely. So tell me about your book. Uh, What made you write it and uh, what are the key takeaways?
1: So the, the thing that was hard for me in my first six months at Airbnb was feeling like I was older, so I'm supposed to know it all. And and then being surrounded by a bunch of brilliant know-it-alls when it comes to technology. So I needed to evolve my sense of self, my sense of identity. Uh, I was no longer the CEO of the company, running a company, um, and I needed to actually be a, become a learner. So um, as I started to realize that this is an alternative way of Being in my 50s, uh, I started to feel more and more comfortable that I could be both the student and the sage at the same time. Uh, And that allowed me to ask a lot of very catalytically curious questions. Um, Most people in an executive rank in a a company ask how and why, um, how and what questions, which are sort of optimization questions. And I was asking a lot of why and what if questions, um, because I actually had such a, a naive almost beginner's mind approach to this that it allowed me to ask um, sometimes quite dumb questions but some of those dumb questions actually pointed out some of our blind spots as a company uh, so I guess being catalytically curious means sometimes your questions aren't just about uh, you know learning an answer but it's actually posing almost an existential question to the organization
0: so chip let me ask you like one of those moments like what was the moment where you realized I'm not in Kansas anymore and I may not have the goods to be here. Like was it one of those defining moments for you?
1: Yeah, it was my third day on the job and I decided I wanted to sit in a, a meeting of engineers since I'd never worked in a tech company. And so I'm sitting in the meeting. You fool, you. What's that?
0: I said, you fool, you. You went into an engineering meeting.
1: I did go to an engineering meeting and, and, and they were all half my age and there were about a dozen of them. And the guy running the meeting, who was 25 years old, turned to me at one point, not even really necessarily knowing who I was, and he asked me a question. He said, if you shipped a feature and no one used it, did it really ship? And, of course, that's like the you know the, the tree in the forest. If it fell, did, did it really – and no one heard it, did it really fall? I, I, yeah, I took philosophy in college, but I did not take any comp sci, so I didn't know what the hell he was talking about because i never i didn't know the lingo of what it meant to ship a feature and so right. i just i looked at him and i said i have no idea what you're talking about and i just sort of like slid down in my seat and realized oh my god i'm just going to be the idiot at this place so i what what i what got i got comfort in and i talked spent some time talking to Brian, uh, the ceo about it i said you know i i feel like i'm not supposed to be here and he said listen you have a lot to offer the key is just mentor privately and intern publicly. And that's what I did is I interned publicly. That is brilliant. Yeah. Asked a lot of questions and I didn't mind the fact that I might be the dumbest person in the room because occasionally my questions really pointed something out that was quite important for us to understand. And then when I had to mentor someone, I did all of it privately because the last thing you want is someone the age of your father or mother, uh, you know, telling you in the middle of a meeting that you did something wrong. So uh, that was really very valuable to me.
0: So the question I have for you is this, is that uh, when was the turning point where people in the organization really uh, saw the value of what you do?
1: When was the turning point in the organization when uh, people... uh,
0: When was the turning point in the organization for you when people started realizing Hey, Chip's adding a ton of value to us. Like before it was like unclear, but uh, this thing really helped us improve what we do.
1: I think the, the point was when I started asking questions around the review system. I mean, first of all, I, you know, I gave some talks and we had at that point 300 people in the company. Not, no one of them had any hospitality or travel background. And of course, we were in the travel industry. So I, there was no doubt from the start, people appreciated the fact that I could teach them something. But I think when, it, when people started to see the value of me from a technological perspective is when I started asking some interesting questions about why and what if we did think things differently with our review system. What I felt really deeply down in my toes is that the review system was our cleansing mechanism for getting better at what we do. And um, right, but, so, and the truth is, it has been that, and it's part of the reason why we've, our hosts have gotten better at what they do over time, and guest satisfaction continues to get better as well. And so when I was asking these questions about how we did our review system, uh, because no hotels had ever done it the way they, the Airbnb was doing it, it exposed a bunch of things that we could do to improve the system. And people said, yes, we've been talking about that for a long time, but nobody really had sort of put it all in the way you've described it. And um, we went forward with that and it had a huge impact. So I think from that point forward, people said, let Chip ask those occasional naive questions. And sometimes uh, some of them are going to actually be a home run.
0: What's amazing is that old adage that, you know, uh, a smart guy knows the answers, the wise guy knows the right questions to ask.
1: Yeah, there's a great...
0: And sometimes being that... uh, New kid on the block. You ask those amazing questions that no one else would have bothered to ask. That get uh, great you results. Know, there's
1: a, another uh, beautiful saying: "Knowledge speaks and wisdom listens." And uh, I, you know, recently I was in Utah at the Summit Series um, event there at their Powder Mountain, and I was. Um, they had a dead owl. They had an eagle owl, you know, up there on the mountain that they were just showing. Right. Up and asked the the guy who actually knew owls. I said, "Why are owls considered wise?" And he says, of all of the of the animals in the forest, they're the best listeners. So if if you really want to understand what does it mean to be wise, it's about listening as opposed to, or, or it's about having great questions as opposed to just having all the answers.
0: You know what's amazing is that in our culture here, owls are wise, and on the Asian continent, Pakistan, India, that's a derogatory thing to call someone because they're an idiot. So it's like. Same bird, uh, two interpretations. Wow, interesting. So, in your book, I was looking at the four lessons, and the first one was evolve. Tell me about that.
1: Well, I think, you know, if you're in midlife, and let's first of all define midlife. Midlife used to be considered 45 to 65, and today I would consider it 35 to 75 because technology means that there are a handful of people in their mid 30s who are starting to feel old. Uh, about that time. And I, and I say it goes till 75, because if we're all going to live longer, a lot of people are going to work into their seventies. So the question that comes up as someone says, I, I really want to be relevant again, is the first thing that you need to do is to historically edit edit or evolve your existing ad- identity. For me, I was the CEO of a company, but I was joining Airbnb to be the mentor for Brian, the CEO but also I was reporting to him. So it's a whole different uh, habitat for me to understand. And so if I was clinging to my knowledge of the past or my title of the past or of just my sense of identity, it wouldn't have worked nearly as well. So I think the key is, you know, and there's a great uh, sort of Zen parable about you can't pour more water or tea into the cup unless you pour something out. And so, um, the bottom right. line is uh, you need to pour some things out, and that's a hard thing for people to do in midlife, but it actually is somewhat liberating as well. So that was the first step, of the evolve.
0: So one of the things that uh, you know, I believe in, which kind of ties in a little bit, is that uh, we actively need to make sure we're relevant to our constituents. And it sounds like what you're talking about evolution is not just evolving, but evolving to serve your uh, constituents at a higher level.
1: That's correct. I mean, you know, if you're if you continue to uh, operate the way you always have, and your constituents are changing, um, you're assuming that uh, what mattered in the past matters in the future, and that's just a uh, generally a bad assumption.
0: Chip, did you ever see that movie? Uh, it was called. Uh it was about The Mermaid with uh, Tom Hanks.
1: Oh my gosh, yes, Splash, a long time ago.
0: There was this one scene that I really loved in that movie. It was when Tom Hanks and John Candy are little kids. John Candy drops some change underneath a set of steps coming down from the upper level so he can look up uh, girls' skirts, and he's like a eight-year-old boy. Yeah, yeah. And then you see him as an adult, and he's in a church, he's a 300-pound man, dropping change down on the floor, doing the same thing, when it's quite obvious. And it was like, once I learn something, I stick with it. And I guess in this day and age, we can't do that. It's all about evolving and accelerating and getting yeah, better.
1: You know, there, there can be some, there's timeless wisdom that you take with you later into life. And some of that is valuable, no matter where you are, and what habitat you're in. Most of that relates to emotional intelligence. But specialized knowledge, yes. specialized knowledge, accumulated knowledge, my gosh, that, that can you know, that could uh, you know become like have an expiration date on it because it's like spoiled milk. So the key is to figure out of what you know and have learned, what is that which is timeless, and what is that which you need to evolve out of and move
0: on from. Brilliant. So the second lesson is is to learn, and that's one of my highest values. So tell me about lesson number two. Learn. Well,
1: it's interesting. Usually, when you think of an older person, it's like they're an advisor. And, and in fact, that's my title now. I was the head of global hospitality and strategy for four years. And then I moved into a consulting role so I could be part time um, as an advisor. But th- you'll notice that these first two lessons are nothing about advisory, they're actually about changing yourself. So instead of you being the one dispensing knowledge, the first one's about evolving, the second one is saying, listen, you got to learn there. You know, if you're going to evolve out of your historical identity and you ne- then have created the space for yourself to learn something new and, you know, curiosity is the elixir of life. People who stay curious, uh, tend to, s- to live longer. Um, that's both empirically known, but it's also, you see it, you see it. Um, and so
0: oh, the idea
1: of learning is, um, something that really became, um, catalytic for me the more i wanted to learn about tech and about design and about the idea of home sharing it allowed me to ask a lot of really important questions um and so i you know i would just say that um for the person who's trying to to repurpose themselves first you have to you know make sure your cup is empty and then start filling it with something new and that's the learn part
0: brilliant Lesson three was collaborate. So talk to me about collaboration. Well,
1: you know, the thing that's interesting is uh, the most neglected fact in business, but especially in the tech business, is that we're all human. And therefore, um, the nature of a tech company, while it's full of brilliant engineers and people creating technology products, it's also full of teams, full of humans. One of the qualities of someone who, get, as they get older into midlife and beyond, is that you've created some pattern recognition around humans. And you've actually built some emotional intelligence. So while the first two lessons are sort of things that require you as a, a modern elder to re you know, to, to really work hard to sort of remake yourself, lessons three and four really speak to something that you actually have that's quite valuable to all those around you. And the collaboration skills and the emotional intelligence that you can offer to those you work with can actually help a team get better. And this is part of the reason why I suggest that um, having an age diverse workforce and age diverse teams creates some invisible productivity uh, because older people in a workplace help younger people get better at what they're doing, often through better collaboration.
0: So can you give me an example of one of those uh, that you were part sure, of? Sure.
1: I was, I mean, one of the things that was, so sometimes I would lead a group, but sometimes I was just in a team and I was just in a meeting and I would not be leading a meeting and um, There was one particular team I was on. I was 20 years older than anybody else in the team, um, and what I saw in the meetings was that everybody was one-upping each other. So it was everybody was sort of being the know-it-all, and uh, and in some ways there was a, com- a competition. And so I pulled a couple of the key leaders uh, of that team aside separately, one-on-one with both of them, and I just said, in the next meeting. Um, here's something I, I I've learned in my you know, history is there's something called appreciative inquiry. Let's see if you could, instead of like trying to be the one who answers all the, uh, answers everything, why don't you actually ask a few questions that actually help the group to have a conversation? And why don't you look at some of the people who, who aren't right. actually communicating a lot? There's a couple of introverts in the group who are really smart, but they almost never talk. So why don't you actually have them be the. Go to them and just let them know in advance that you're going to be asking them to talk about something. So in essence, let's create the psychological safety, which is something that Google has shown is the most important quality uh, in any kind of team. Let's create the psychological safety for people to feel like they can contribute, especially the introverts. And what happened as a result of that is the dynamic in the meeting changed. Instead of having the same two or three or four people who dominated the meeting, now we're basically fighting each other for who is smartest. We created much more of a conversation, uh, and uh, it was a it, w- it it was a miraculous change. So that's a that's an example of having some emotional intelligence and building that skill over time, and then applying it in a place where these young people had never really been taught those kind of collaboration skills.
0: That's brilliant, and that's why I really like uh, examples that really crystallize what you're trying to communicate. Thank you. Right now, you're advising the uh, the founders of Airbnb. What does that look like?
1: Well, (laughs) it's broad. Um, The funny thing is, I was brought in originally because of being a hospitality executive. But I think what Brian and the founders appreciate about me is my strategic point of view and thinking more broadly about where the company should go. So sometimes it's related to, you know, how do we roll out new businesses that we're going to go into. Uh, sometimes it's related to the culture of the company. Sometimes it's related to how do we build better relationships? Because Airbnb, as a disruptor, there are certain people who are scared of us or don't like us. And so how do we actually build um, more diplomatic relationships with th- those kinds of people? So um, I think the best thing I can say is that to be in a position where uh, I, you know, this company is exactly 10 years old now, And now it's the largest hospitality company in the world. And I started here five and a half years ago, and we didn't even consider ourselves a hospitality company. So it's been quite an experience to see how technology leads to disruption. Innovation doesn't lead to disruption. Innovation is, you can do innovation without having technology, but technology takes an idea and makes it global overnight.
0: Totally brilliant. So Chip, what's your biggest hope for this book?
1: I think my biggest hope for this book is twofold. One is to, across all generations, because we have five generations in the workplace now, is to create a new kind of intergenerational collaboration that we've never seen before. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, and realize it's like a potluck, and we can all share with each other what we know best. But I think the other thing I'm looking for is to help the people in midlife to repurpose themselves and to actually help organizations see the value of wisdom. Um, wisdom being a combination of confidence and doubt uh, with, with a, the ability to use pattern recognition over time to actually help uh, create great insight. And I think that, um, you know, that ability for people in midlife to feel like they have something still to offer is pretty important um, just because we're all living longer.
0: Before we part company, you've been doing the book tour. You've been talking about it for a while. What's the best story of someone coming up to you saying, you know, hey, this book helped me in this way?
1: Well, the book. So the book's actually uh, not out till September eighteenth. So I, no one. It's been more my articles that people have said that about so far. um, But I have been on the book tour, just talking about it in advance of the book. I think the number one thing I've heard because I we created a modern elder academy down in Mexico, three acres um, on the beach where people come and. You know, learn how to repurpose themselves. What I've learned from that experience and, and from the articles is that people think somehow at age 45 or 50, they're on the decline and there's no they, they don't have any ingenuity left or anything to offer. And yet, if you're going to live till age 100, and a lot of us will, if you do the math at age 50, if you start counting at age 18 as your adult life when you start having more choice, you're only 32 years of the way through your adult life um, and you still have 50 years of adult life left. So I think what I've really seen is people, the stories I've seen of people in their 50s and their 60s and sometimes even in their 70s to actually reimagine how they can be relevant, whether it's taking coaching and counseling skills and making that into a career um, or whether it's frankly becoming an entrepreneur in their 60s. There's a beautiful Ted talk by a guy named Paul Tasner, who at age 66 started his own company, and it became very successful. So I, I think it's just, it gives you some hope that yes, our physical peak is in our 20s. And maybe our salary peak in many cultures is in our mid 40s to early 50s. But our human peak or emotional peak or our peak at when we can actually be most valuable to other people could be our 60s or our 70s or even after that.
0: Brilliant. Chip, thanks so much for sitting down with me. I really enjoyed the conversation.
1: I did too, Umar. Thank you.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming. And that is the fastest way to get better results.